quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to CNN Tonight. I'm Jake Tapper in Washington. Today, Donald Trump was issued a subpoena from the January 6th committee, which wrote to Trump, quote, We have assembled overwhelming evidence that you personally orchestrated and oversaw a multi-part effort to overturn the 2020 presidential election and to obstruct the peaceful transition of power, unquote. At the same time, in the same investigation, Trump's former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, was sentenced to four months in prison for defying his subpoena from the committee. And Bannon looked like he loved every second of it. The federal judge, a Trump appointee, we should note, said that Bannon has shown, quote, no remorse for his actions. Remorse isn't Bannon's thing. Revolt is. Remember, this illegitimate regime, their their judgment day is on 8 November. Bannon's one of the main forces that spread those deranged lies about the 2020 election. But at least at the time, privately, Bannon seemed to know that this was all a scam. Here he is behind closed doors before the last election. And what Trump's going to do is just declare victory, right? He's going to declare victory. But that doesn't mean he's the winner. He's just going to say he's the winner. It's unclear if Bannon will actually end up going to prison. The judge is letting him remain free while his appeal process plays out. We're going to talk to his lawyer in just a second. Separately, Bannon is also facing charges of money laundering and conspiracy and fraud related to that online scheme to raise money to build Trump's border wall. Bannon's a busy guy. Even before he met Trump, Bannon was a man who wore many hats, or in his case, shirts. Navy, Georgetown, Harvard MBA, Goldman Sachs. Bannon seemed drawn to odd projects, such as the 1993 science escapade known as Biosphere 2. The structure houses seven small-scale versions of the Earth's various zones. Here, crew members monitor plant, animal, and atmospheric changes in an attempt to understand real-life biology. It's been referred to in the past as a planet in a bottle. Bannon has a real eye, a keen eye, for opportunities. For instance, he bought a stake in royalties for a little show in the 90s that maybe you heard of. But in addition to that quality, seeing opportunities, Bannon has also long been drawn to a hostile, radical nationalism. After making some right-wing documentaries, Bannon became a founding member of the board at Breitbart.com, where Bannon eventually assumed the helm and helped turn it proudly into a website for the so-called alt-right. At the time, even right-wing talk show host Glenn Beck thought Bannon extreme and scary. He's a horrible, despicable human being. By taking orders from a political candidate and reworking your entire site to promote the lies of a specific candidate 
without any kind of truth behind these things. That doesn't make you Roger Ailes. That makes you Goebbels. Goebbels, tough talk for a fellow conservative from Glenn Beck. But you probably first became aware of Steve Bannon when he was chief executive officer of Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and then chief strategist and senior counselor at the Trump White House. Many in the public were afraid because of the bigotry on Breitbart and the accusations against Bannon of domestic violence and anti-Semitism, accusations from his ex-wife. Bannon's spokesman denied the allegations, but Bannon was focused on putting his plans into high gear, such as the so-called Muslim ban or purging the Republican Party of anyone remotely disloyal to Donald Trump. They're going to be held accountable if they do not support the president of the United States. Bannon brought that hostility into the White House. One senior Trump White House advisor told me today that Bannon at the White House was abusive and foul to the extreme to everyone on the staff. And President Trump was jealous that Bannon was getting more credit with the base than he was. So it was only a matter of time before Bannon was ousted. And after Bannon was quoted attacking Donald Trump Jr. in a book the next year, Trump publicly went after the man that he called Sloppy Steve. But Bannon did not return fire. Bannon has always played the long game. Bannon's long game is to tear down the GOP from the inside out and turn it into a nationalist party. And that's why you should care about Sloppy Steve, because he's using his podcast now to go after Republicans and to go after the Republic. Called The War Room, it's regularly one of the most popular podcasts on Apple. Bannon has millions of listeners. Some of the figures he studied closest and admires from the past are actual propagandists, uh, like the Nazi propagandists. Bloomberg's Josh Green wrote a whole book on Bannon, and he reports that Bannon has studied the work of Nazi propagandist Lenny Reifenstahl. He showed me once, shot for shot, how he was copying in his own films what she had done in her films. So it gives you an idea um, of the depth of his belief in propaganda. Do not underestimate Sloppy Steve. Steve Bannon is gifted. Steve Bannon has taken that war room audience and turned it into what he calls an army. It's an army he's been quietly mobilizing to fight on the humblest of battlefields. We're taking action. And that action is we're taking over school boards, we're taking over the Republican Party through the precinct committee strategy, we're taking over all the elections. We're taking over all the elections. There's nothing wrong, of course, with getting the public involved in their political process. In a way, it's laudable. The problem here is what this Bannon army might do on those election boards, on these precinct committees, inside polling places. We're going to take over the election apparatus. American citizens that are volunteering. What are these people going to do once they're in charge of the election apparatus? It is about who counts the votes, and guess what? We're going to count them. Who are these precinct committee men and women going to elect in county and state parties? How are they going to do their jobs if elected to count votes on the local level? When Drew Griffin and CNN's investigative unit sat down with members of Bannon's army on the state level, it was very clear who was calling the shots. And Steve Bannon was the one that I heard say exactly what Jody just said. Hey, all the Democrats do it. You got to get involved grassroots. It was also clear 
that members of Bannon's army had been fed lie after lie after lie. Lies that clearly would cause anyone to be concerned about how they might do their jobs. To see all the anomalies during the elections, to see how, there's no way that Biden could have ever won an election. He didn't campaign. Um, the most unpopular person. There's just some, if you believe that that was a safe and fair election, then I, I mean, I, I just can't help you. It was a safe and fair election. This is a real threat to democracy, and it's playing out at such a local level, we might never even see what it means. So this is where Bannon's combination of traits, savvy exploiter of opportunity and Rasputin of modern nationalism, this is where it has led him and us. How concerned should you be? Well, One former German ambassador to the United States puts it this way in CNN's special report airing tonight. Looking back over the last 70 years, over the post-World War II period, uh, in my view, Steve Bannon was the single most dangerous American who came our way. The single most dangerous American who came the Germans' way. Not to belabor the point, but the Germans know from bad guys. And even if Steve Bannon does end up in a prison cell, four months is not a long time. Moreover, his insidious influence, that cannot be locked up. But today the focus is not on Bannon's charisma, but his appeal, by which of course I mean his court appeal. Steve Bannon's attorney is going to be with us to talk about what happened in court today and what comes next and why his client wouldn't just go before the January 6th committee and plead the fifth, as so many others have. We'll ask him, next. And we're back with more on Steve Bannon, the former Trump White House advisor sentenced to four months in prison and a $6,500 fine for contempt of Congress after defying a subpoena to appear in front of the January 6th committee. Minutes after the punishment was handed down, a defiant Bannon gave this warning shot to Democrats. Today was my judgment day by the judge. On November 8th, there's going to have judgment on the illegitimate Biden regime and quite frankly, and quite frankly, Nancy Pelosi and the entire committee. And we know which way that's going. This is democracy. The American people are way in measuring what went on with the Justice Department and how they comported themselves. And Steve Bannon's attorney, David Schoen, joins us now. David, thanks so much for taking our questions. Really appreciate it. So, Steve Bannon says he's going to appeal the court's decision. What's the argument that the jury got it wrong? Well, there are several arguments, by the way. Uh, what was extraordinary today is that the judge, first of all, uh, found that a stay pending appeal is appropriate. That was not extraordinary. That was appropriate. But that he mentioned at least four issues that he considers to be substantial questions for the appeal, meaning that he understands that reasonable jurists could um, disagree over at least four questions. So the first reason uh, I say the jury got it wrong, I mean, the jury did their job appropriately, I think. Um, They couldn't have come to any other conclusion based on the testimony they heard. But one of the key mistakes in the case, we believe, is that the judge um, prohibited Mr. Bannon from putting on any evidence before the jury or even making reference to any reason for his uh, response to the subpoena. That is, that he believed executive privilege applied, that he relied on the directives of his lawyer, and so on. Um, mm-hmm. All of that was prohibited from going before the jury. So, so you, you also, you advised Bannon not to testify in court. Why not? 
Well, if he couldn't tell the story of what happened, then I didn't think there was any point in having him testify. Um, you know, I, people may or may not have noticed it. I actually declined to participate in the trial in terms of examining witnesses and making argument because uh, we, I had a bit of a disagreement over uh, strategy and whether it was appropriate. And I didn't want to legitimize that process. Once the judge made a ruling that all of the defenses in the case would be barred, I didn't want to legitimize the process by going through the motions and making it sort of good enough by asking questions and so on so that anyone reviewing would say, well, you got a fair trial for that reason. Couldn't get a fair trial in this case, not because of anything uh, bad that the judge did. He, he gave his reasoned rulings. and He's a very thoughtful and careful judge. But because I think overall those rulings were unfair, I think the jury d deserved to hear all of the facts of the case and then make a decision one way or the other. So this is about his contempt of, of Congress uh, charge uh, because the, the committee investigating January 6th wanted him to come and testify. And I think there are a lot of us who wonder, why didn't he just go before the committee and do what so many other potentially prosecutable suspects in this investigation have done? General Flynn, Roger Stone, Eastman, et cetera, and just assert the Fifth Amendment for any answers that might incriminate him. Uh, there, I don't understand why he didn't just do that. He, uh, because he's Steve Bannon. He doesn't like the optic of uh, taking the Fifth Amendment. I have said before that I tend to think I would uh, advise any client appearing before this committee to take the Fifth, quite frankly, because I have real problems with the political composition of the committee. I think it was inappropriate to make Chairman Thompson the chairman after he sued former President Trump, alleging that former President Trump was responsible for the events of January 6th and that he, Chairman Thompson, suffered personal injuries from it. I don't think that's the kind of uh, chair for a committee that can gain the whole confidence of the whole country. I, I want to focus on, on Mr. Bannon because he, he talks very freely about January 6th uh, on the air. Why would he feel fine talking about January 6th on the air, but not under oath as required by law? Well, uh, you know, this, the, subpoena, the subpoena from this committee raised a peculiar issue. I mean, that's, again, one of the things the judge mentioned today. Um, what are the rights and obligations of a, the recipient of a subpoena from a congressional committee when executive privilege is invoked? Now, there are all sorts of issues around that, obviously. The extent to which a former president can invoke privilege, the degree to which a, the incumbent can supersede that invocation of privilege. But Mr. Bannon, as I said today in court, is a person, take away the name Bannon because that, you know, presents a lot of uh, sort of inflammatory thoughts among people. But, but Mr. Bannon is a person who believes in the Constitution, respects the institution of the presidency, and in this case, respected the invocation of executive privilege and the presumptive validity of such an invocation. So the prosecution says Bannon, quote, acted in bad faith throughout by claiming he was merely acting on former President Trump's instructions, the uh, executive privilege claims you're referring to, even though former President Trump's attorney made clear he was not, unquote. So did Trump ask him not to testify? And when was the last time they spoke? Well, this guy you're talking about, Justin Clark, president's so-called attorney, um, I call one of the thugs of that administration. Um, based on personal experience with him, uh, and I wouldn't believe anything that he says, wrote a letter, the same letter he wrote to Meadows and Scavino and everyone else, with one exception uh, regarding immunity, nothing to do with privilege, wrote a letter saying, um, condemning the committee and saying President Trump is invoking privilege. This is a protective assertion of privilege. So it's, uh, it's you know, sort of preemptive. They don't know what documents exactly would be at issue. 
He now began cooperating with the government and all of a sudden has said, oh, well, he didn't say this and he didn't mean that and so on. The lawyer clearly was aware that this guy, Clark, was trying to pull something at the time and warned Bannon about that. But he invoked privilege. And President, former President Trump made that clear on July 9th when he wrote a letter confirming that he invoked executive privilege when Bannon got the subpoena. But executive privilege protects people who work in the White House or the administration who are giving the president advice. Steve Bannon was a private citizen. It had nothing to do. He didn't work with the administration. I've never heard of a successful executive privilege claim applying to somebody who's outside the government. Well, you you make a point that many people try to make, and unfortunately, with all due respect, it's just not accurate. Um, There's a Justice Department opinion right on point, and it makes sense if you think about it. That opinion was whether someone who no longer employed in the the executive branch can still enjoy executive privilege with the president. The uh, the Office of Legal Counsel in the Justice Department said, absolutely. So think about it. If President Biden today somehow concluded that the economy is not where he wanted it to be, and he called in the CEO of some successful company, and they shared thoughts, that CEO has the right to believe his discussions would be privileged, and President Biden has the right to uh, make those conversations privileged. That person never worked in the uh, executive branch. Henry Kissinger would be another example, who had worked there, but no longer does. There are reasons the institution maintains that executive privilege, even with people outside the executive branch. This all has to do with the January 6th investigation. Listen to your client the day before that horrific assault on the Capitol. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. Just understand this, all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's not gonna happen like you think it's gonna happen, okay? It's gonna be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. What did your client mean by that? What did he know about what was planned for the next day? I don't know the answer to that question. I think what he meant is, you know, things are gonna be uh, chaotic the next day. I certainly don't think he anticipated any violence the next day and so on, but I really don't know the answer to that question. Your client repeatedly told the public lies about the election, including about Dominion voting machines. Those claims were thoroughly investigated uh, and refuted by senior members of the Trump administration under oath. Take a listen. That there was this systemic corruption in the system and that their votes didn't count and that these machines controlled by somebody else were actually determining it, which was complete nonsense. The attorney general had reached a conclusion that there wasn't sufficient election fraud to change the outcome of the election. He said there's lots of fraud going on here. Told him flat out that much of the information he's getting is false. There's uh, obviously, well, there was a former Attorney General Barr, uh, that was uh, Pat Cipollone from the White House, and the former Acting Deputy Attorney General uh, Donahue. Has your client stopped telling the specific lies about Dominion, and why does he continue to tell these other lies about the election? <laughs> When did you stop beating your wife? Um, I don't really mind. They are lies. They're empirically lies. I mean, you, you, these, these, are, these are Trump officials saying it. Take their word for it, not mine. But I, I, I can no, I understand. I can tell you this. Have, I, despite what I've written in the media that some have suggested Trump knew otherwise and so on, having spoken both to President, former President Trump and Bannon on the subject, I can tell you that they believe in their heart of hearts, and they believe they've investigated and so on, that there was election fraud. They believe that. Um, so it's not something that, despite what I've read in the media, th- they think they're making up. I understand your point completely, but I am telling you, I believe they sincerely think, uh, believe in what they're saying. Well, I can believe that all the gold in Fort Knox is mine. That doesn't mean I can go in there and get it. <laughs>
So let me just ask you one final question, sir. Uh, Josh Green in Bloomberg today writes, quote, in his own mind and almost certainly in the MAGA hive mind, Bannon's now a martyr to the cause, a patriot who refused to testify on shaky grounds of executive privilege. He'll surely take advantage of it. As one of his old colleagues predicted to me a few weeks ago, if Steve gets six months, he'll treat it like he's Nelson Mandela. He'll write a memoir. He'll treat himself as a political prisoner. Does he see himself like that? I don't know that he does. I said from the beginning of this case, what a terrible mistake this committee was making. They were banding it about in the press that they're going to make an example of Steve Bannon. I have said from the beginning, I believe they will make him a martyr by criminally prosecuting him under the circumstances of this case when they had an option, when they could have gotten the information from him, gotten him to testify simply through a civil enforcement proceeding, as he suggested. Um, I think there's that real possibility. I think that people are very upset about uh, what happened here, that criminal liability would be imposed on someone who believed he did the right thing and the only lawful course opened him. David Schoen, thank you so much for taking our questions. We appreciate it. Thank you. David Schoen in an interview we taped earlier today. Coming up, vodka, wine, and sweet letters. Italy's former leader has been caught on tape gushing over the barbaric leader of Russia. It's causing a major headache for his country just as a new government is about to take over. That bizarre and upsetting story, next. Too often on cable news, hosts on the left and the right feed you bogus stories to outrage you. Often these stories are false and demonizing and dumb. But here's a story that should genuinely make you mad. Newly leaked audio of former Italian Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi is exactly what the people of Ukraine do not want to hear. They are already facing a brutal winter, possibly with no power due to Russian attacks on civilian power stations. Meanwhile, Berlusconi, the 86-year-old wealthy former four-time prime minister, was just re-elected to parliament. So the guy who's about to play a key role in forming the majority government got a call from an old friend. I have re-established relations with President Putin a bit, quite a bit. His office confirmed to CNN that these clips are legit. The new prime minister of Italy, Giorgia Maloney, just officially named today, has promised to keep sending Ukraine weapons. But this next part of the audio makes it clear this wasn't a, hey, how you doing kind of chat between Berlusconi and Putin. For my birthday, he sent me 20 bottles of vodka and a very sweet letter. I replied with bottles of Lambrusco and an equally sweet letter. Sweet? An advisor to Ukrainian President Zelensky wrote in Italian on Twitter, quote, he must be under the influence of Russian vodka. Berlusconi's propensity to party and the scandals that ensued have marked his decades in power. By 2010, the phrase bunga bunga was used to describe his notorious sex parties. There were later convictions, including for tax fraud, And bribery, one for paging an underage prostitute, was later overturned. Italy has played a key role in Europe's united response to Putin's brutal war on the Ukrainian people. But on the tapes, Berlusconi appears to blame Ukraine for the invasion. In an interview with an Italian newspaper, Berlusconi said, quote, I don't deny my past friendship with Vladimir Putin, unquote. That would be hard to do anyway, when he once named a bed after the guy and gave him bedsheets which showed the two of them shaking hands. Can you imagine being one of the poor besieged citizens of Ukraine? 
victimized by Putin's bombs, war crimes being committed against women and children. And you hear this filth from Berlusconi? I guess for some, Putin's barbarism is nothing compared to his access to good vodka. With just over two weeks until the midterms, the pressure's building. One of the highest profile races is the competition for the U.S. Senate. It's an open seat in Ohio where Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan is facing off against Republican author (coughs) J.D. Vance. One of those two candidates will join me next. Forty-two years ago tonight was one of the best memories of my childhood. It's when the Philadelphia Phillies won their first ever World Series. I was 11, watching on a little black and white TV in my room. My next guests also love the Phillies, but they are also diehard San Diego Padres fans, which is tough since right now those teams are facing off for the National League Championship Series. The parents of Phillies pitcher Aaron Nola and Padres catcher Austin Nola are literally crisscrossing the country to support their sons. Austin and Aaron made history on the field this week, marking the first time siblings faced each other as batter and pitcher in the postseason. That game, of course, leaving their parents, AJ and Stacey Nola, to probably be the only people in the stadium rooting for both sides. I talked with them tonight before the first pitch in Game 3. AJ, one of your sons is going to have his heart broken, hopefully Austin, and one of your sons is going to head to the World Series, hopefully Aaron, that must be quite a mix of emotions. It's a ton of emotions running through my head right now, Jake. It's, um, you know, uh, yesterday we uh, celebrated the Wednesday night win with Austin, and then a few hours later we consoled Aaron. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very emotional for us, but then thrilled at the same time. Stacy, as parents, we do anything for our kids. Uh, I went to see my son, my 13-year-old, play football earlier this week. But the sacrifices you have made for your sons uh, must have been and continue to be extraordinary. Uh, they are. It's been, a, it's been a long ride, but it's been good. Um, they have both worked really hard, and um, we, we would do anything for them. As you can see, we're traveling literally across the United States to support both of them. And we wouldn't have it any other way. AJ, you guys have literally been traveling all over the country to support your sons. We're going to show the viewers a map. Since October 6th, you've gone from your home in Baton Rouge to New York, then St. Louis, back home to Baton Rouge, on to Philly, Baton Rouge again, out to San Diego, back to Philly, Baton Rouge again, San Diego once more, and then Philly. That's quite a grueling schedule. How are you able to do it? Well, i tell you what, it, it, this could be a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> ordeal. And we, we just made the sacrifices to, you know, we've, we've done it when they were Little League and traveling all over for tournaments. And, and so now they're big leagues, so we're, we're doing the same. And, and uh, even though it's a gruel and it's red-eye flights, and less sleep than what we really want, and man, we're, we're having the time of our lives right now. I'll bet. And Stacy, I understand you, you all had planned to have a family dinner last night, but took on babysitting. Uh, so Aaron and Austin could go out together. How are they feeling about today? I know Wednesday's matchup where Austin hit off Aaron and turned the game around for the Padres was, was must, it was tough for me. So I can't even imagine what it was, what it was like for Aaron. It's yeah, that was hard. (laughs) That was hard for all of us. (laughs) Um, 
But yeah, we, we let them go out and have some fun and, um, you know, they're both doing well with it. I think they're going to just have some fun. And AJ, you coached them through their freshman years of high school. Game two on Wednesday was the first time in postseason history that siblings faced each other as batter and pitcher. What was that like for you? Because, you know, you were, you were part of that. You were part of the history there. Were there moments uh, that you wanted to, to get in there and, and coach uh, Aaron or Austin at, at any point? Oh, man, I am. Hey, I'm locked in on Aaron's every pitch. And then I'm, you know, when I'm watching it on TV, I'm fighting with the TV is why they call this pitch, why they call that pitch. And, you know, and I'm. I'm, I'm so into the game, and like I was Wednesday night, I was I was locked in the game, and you know I was just hoping that he would go a little longer in the game and, and, and give Philly a little bit of, more of a chance. But hey, that's baseball, man. That's that's uh, that's why I love it so much. It's unpredictable. He's so great. He's such an asset to the team. And Stacy, I hear that that you're the one who agonizes the most during games. How are you feeling about tonight, Game Three? I'm good. I'm, I mean, I'm good right now because Aaron's not pitching. So I can just go and enjoy and whichever team wins, wins. And I don't have to worry about it. I get more uh, nervous during when he's pitching. And it just magnified to have him pitching against Austin. Now, I said, I'm hoping that one of these teams does it in five. So I don't have to see him have to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> Philly's in five. I hear you. Okay. AJ, this series is tied one-to-one. Do you have any feelings about tonight's game? Well, uh, I think Musgrove's got the advantage tonight over Suarez, man. I mean, hey, that's my opinion on it. Um, but on the flip side, you've got home field advantage. And we were here for the Brave series in which these Philly fans were. I mean, it, it, it shook the build. I thought there was... The building was going to fall. I, I'm, there's no lie. You, you, you'll see it when you come, but these Philly fans are, um, I don't even know how to describe them. They're, they're supportive. They're rowdy. They're, they cheer every single pitch. It's, um, they're hungry for a, uh, a championship. They've, they haven't won it in 11 years, you know, and I, I think both of these teams are hungry. San Diego's 16 years out, never won a championship at all in any sport. So uh, it's going to get interesting these next few games. Well, you don't have to describe Philly fans to me. <laughs> I, am, I am one. Um, Stacy and AJ, <laughs> uh, congratulations uh, uh, on what you've done, raising these two incredible boys who also have great reputations as, as good people. Um, Enjoy the game. Maybe I'll see you Sunday. I hope to be up there. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Jake. You. Appreciate it. Thanks for hearing our story, man. Appreciate it. Of course. Go Phils. We'll be right back. We're less than three weeks from Election Day and a number of critical races that will determine control of the Senate are, are neck and neck. In Ohio, Democratic Congressman Tim Bryan is holding his own against lawyer-turned-author-turned-politician turned turned politician J.D. Vance. The race is getting heated with the two going at each other at a recent debate. Voters are worried about their pocketbooks, according to a new poll that shows 41% of Ohioans think the most important issue of this election is the economy, well over every other issue, including any threats to democracy or the abortion rights battle. 
Democratic Senate candidate and Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan joins us now. Uh, we should note that we have invited uh, J.D. Vance as well uh, to come anytime he wants. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. So President Biden and a lot of other Democrats have been spending a lot of time and money campaigning on abortion rights. Senator Bernie Sanders told me a week ago that he thinks it's a mistake for Democrats to focus entirely on that, that they should be talking more about the economy. What do you think? I agree. I mean, the economy has been the the issue, the driving issue for us here in this race the last 18 months. Ohio's an economic state. People are hurting. They need help. I've been pushing a tax cut, but we're also, you know, bringing the jobs of the future here. Electric vehicles, uh, the chip manufacturing, uh, uh, Intel project, which will be $100 billion, uh, solar panels in Toledo, natural gas in the southeast part of the state. It's about rebuilding the great American middle class and making sure that people have opportunity and, and a good job and some a dignified retirement. And that's what we're mm-hmm. fighting for. That's what Ohio wants. Obviously, inflation and rising prices are top of mind for Ohioans. That must be hurting your campaign, just being in the majority party. And yesterday, House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn said this about the $1.9 trillion economic recovery plan that Democrats passed last year. Take a listen. Well, let me make it very clear. All of us are concerned about these rising costs. And all of us knew this would be the case uh, when we put in place this recovery program. Anytime you put more money uh, into uh, the economy, uh, prices uh, tend to rise. You voted for the bill. Did you vote for it knowing that it would push prices up? Yeah, no, not at all. And I'm, I think right now we need a tax cut. I mean, we were experiencing a pandemic. We did a number of rescue uh, uh, you know, packages when President Trump was in and then again with, with President Biden. We had to rescue the economy and we had to make some, some significant investments. We are moving into a phase now and we have to return the supply chain. You know, we got to stop the price gouging that we know is happening out there. Some of the big corporations are doing it, but we got to move the supply uh, chain back. That was the CHIPS Act. That was the infrastructure bill. That was the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, for 30 or 40 years, Jake, the corporations, the wealthiest people in this country shipped our jobs overseas, sold out the American workers, and we have hollowed out communities. And then a pandemic hits and we realize we're not not making anything in the United States anymore. We got to bring it back. So that's the effort moving forward. And I think in Ohio, there's a clear contrast. A guy like me who wants to take that issue on, take on the corporate interest, take on China and move the manufacturing back. You got a guy like J.D. Vance, who's actually investing into China, making money off it and shipping the products back here. So this is getting the supply chains back. And I'm the guy in Ohio that's going to get it done. So was... Jim Clyburn wrong when he said that? You didn't all know that putting money into the economy was going to cause inflation? Well, you got to remember, I mean, we were coming out of the pandemic. You know, there were a lot of there weren't many good choices there. You know, we needed to put some money into the economy. We had to rescue businesses, families. People were on unemployment. The the economy locked up and the, the globe locked up. And so we had to get that done. Uh, you know, I don't regret doing it. What I'm saying now is give people a tax cut so that they can actually have some money in their pocket. That's the solution. So you're reluctant to criticize uh, Congressman Clyburn and that kind of like dovetails with the fact that you've been hit hard and with a lot of ad money for voting 100 percent of the time with Speaker Pelosi. With, with the benefit of hindsight, are there any votes you regret? Well, let me say uh, I love Jim Clyburn. Uh, 
you know, he, he's one of my best friends in Congress and he's a, he's a good man. Uh, and, you know, I ran against Nancy Pelosi, Jake. You remember that. You covered that. I think one yeah. of the hardest things in Washington, D.C. to do is for you to take on your, your own party's leadership. Uh, and I did that. And I, you know, and I've got the scars to prove it. And I, that's the kind of leadership we need. And, and it's great contrast to J.D. Vance, who Donald Trump said he was an ass kisser from the stage in Youngstown, Ohio. And J.D. went back up on the stage after he took his dignity from him, shook his hand and looked at the crowd and said, aren't we having a great time here tonight? I've taken on my own party. I've disagreed with President Biden on reducing tariffs on uh, solar panels coming in from China, on relaxation, uh, relaxation of Title 42 at the border, the student loan issue. I've taken on former Democratic administration on trade, on fast right. track. And I've agreed with Trump on issues like I'm, but, I'm here for Ohio. And if people want an Ohio and in the Senate, they can help fuel this campaign. I'm not a big money guy, uh, but they can go to timforoh.com and chip in a few bucks to help fuel this but, campaign. Is there do you regret any votes? You voted 100 percent of the time with Nancy Pelosi. You're saying no, you don't regret anything. Well, what I'm saying is, I get. You know, let me just say this, uh, Jake. Running against House leadership is a very, very difficult thing. So that the question is, do you have the courage to take on your own party? You know, yes, I have, and I've got, as I said, got the scars to prove it. Uh, but I will say, you know, when you are in the majority, you work issues into the bills that you're going to vote on, so that your members can vote for it. I got the Buy American provision. Uh, in the infrastructure bill so that we're going to be buying American steel, American concrete instead of Chinese steel to build these bridges. I got that in that bill. So I voted for it. The CHIPS Act, I was very instrumental in helping that bill pass. So, yes, of course, I'm going to vote for it. The Inflation Reduction Act. I wanted the yeah. natural gas stuff uh, that was in there. We wanted the electric vehicle stuff that was in there. I wanted the $300 billion in deficit reduction in the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. So I helped get those in the bills, and then you vote for them. So the bill's not going to come to the floor unless guys like me have what we want, the, the, the priorities for Ohio in the bill. So just lastly, we're running out of time, but uh, J.D. Vance, your opponent's getting a lot of financial backing from the Republican Senate Leadership Fund, other national Republican and conservative groups. You have complained publicly that you're not getting the same kind of help from the Democrats. Uh, why not? Do you think they just don't think you can win? Let me be clear. I'm not complaining at all. I built this campaign 18 months ago to go without the uh, Democratic Senate committee because they often have not helped in places like Ohio. And I just take issue with the fact, like some of these consultants are saying, you got to put money into states that have a higher number of people with college degrees. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. That goes against everything the Democratic Party stands for. And what I'm trying to say is we got working class people. We need to start respecting people who don't have a college degree. We need to start investing into communities that uh, with people who don't have a college degree to just say, oh, we're got we're going to go play in this state because there's more people with a college degree. I think is complete BS. And I, I wholly reject it. And I'm going to fight the party, the Democratic Party. Uh, from going down the road where you need a you need a, you need a dem, uh, you need a college degree as as a passport to get into the party, we got to start focusing on working class people, and we're going to win this thing. We're getting fueled by three hundred and fifty thousand low dollar donors. JD Vance has two donors. He has Peter Thiel gave him fifteen million, and Mitch McConnell, mm -hmm. who's given him forty million dollars from yeah. the corporations who shipped our jobs overseas. 
I want people to help us with this campaign. Go to timforoh.com. We're going to absolutely shock the world and we're going to get the Democratic Party back where it needs to be. Okay. And that's with the focus on working people, whether they're white or black or brown or men or women. That's where the focus of the party needs to be. Ohio Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Our coverage continues now with the splendiferous Lauren. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.